Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everyone. I'm Charlie Fink with Roni Abovitz and Ted Shilowitz for This Week in XR. Today is Friday, March 24th, 2023. I think we're about show 142, Ted. Good to see you and uh, Shocking. congrats. I know. Why do we do this every Friday morning? I think someone may be listening. Well, more and more people are listening. You and I, of course, you know, the last few weeks you've been reporting on South by, I would say a small number of people, not just one or two said, I listen to your podcast. It's great. I really enjoy it. And then occasionally I'll have a conversation with somebody through my lens of Paramount and they'll be like, Wait a minute! You're the guy that does that podcast. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're close. We're we're closing in on about 500 downloads on uh, today and tomorrow, and then you know, long tail after that. And I, yeah. and I have to say, adding adding Roni goosed up our numbers a Absolutely. little bit, but uh, noticeably. So Roni has his fan base too. Uh, anyway, instead of bragging on ourselves, we were talking in the green room about artificial intelligence. In fact. You know, this week in XR was quite long this week because of the Game Developers Conference. Uh, inside baseball, probably to most of my Forbes readers, but uh, important news and very relevant to us. And uh, there was so much AI news because usually I include some AI news. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did This Week in AI, and it really requires that to treat what's happening in AI right now because it's like, you know, 1995, 1996 with dot-com companies popping up like mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean just a couple of com companies. I mean, every day there'd be two or three or four announcements about new startups. You know, I would say the floor was slippery with venture money. Anybody who had an idea for what to do with yeah. the web uh, could get funded. Uh -huh. And, you know, all these business plans were anticipating advertising revenue, which we know did arrive, but 20 years later. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and most of those companies went by the wayside before you know the the blossom happened. But uh, I was regaling both you guys with a story. So uh, in a few weeks is the big uh, NAB conference for those that are not in the broadcast industry, the National Association <clears throat> of Broadcasters. It's the big it's the big movie and TV conference of the year, uh, and it's a hundred years, a hundred year anniversary of NAB, which is sort of like wow, that's an interesting lens to. Look so this at. is where you go to get the latest Panavision camera. Cameras, TV <laughs> stuff, you know, these days it's virtual sets, LED walls, right. lighting, you know, big camera cranes and all the post-production stuff, right? And, and, and drones. And drones and all the infrastructure, all the, yeah. the data infrastructure that right. runs this thing called television. So it's a tech um, conference. Yeah. So I've been going there for years through my, you know, the various parts of my career. I'm involved in all this stuff. And uh, um, so I, I have a couple of big presentations and then I've started to prepare for it. Last night, I don't know, it was like midnight, and I'm like, I wonder, you know, I got the new chat GPT-4 all fired up, and I'm like, I wonder if I could just ask it to write an essay on the 100 years of NAB, since that's sort of a lens that I'm supposed to be presenting on, and see what it comes back with, and it is shockingly good. It's like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll post it ahead of time, I'll let people read it if you want, but it definitely 
did exactly what I wanted it to do. And if, if I was a student in your class, Charlie, I could have turned it in as a paper and I would have probably gotten a good grade. It's amazing. You know, you know I don't assign papers, but in your I, case, I might. <laughs> so I think my next step in the process is to see if there's a place where uh, I can synthesize my voice really quickly, just train my voice, and then let a synthesized AI version of my voice read the thing mm -hmm. that ChatGPT wrote at NAB and say, here's where we sit today. What right, would Walter Cronkite and uh, Edward R. Murrow think about this, you know, kind of thing. The, the funny thing about uh, like us as humans, we're feeding our dinosaur eggs to the mammals. Yeah. You know, the dinosaurs at least try to protect them. We're just like here. They just this. consume yeah. us next evolutionary thing that takes over. Just eat us now. That's kind of what we're doing. <laughs> We're so uh, amazed at the thing that's going to surpass us. It's a little frightening to me. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, what when I was at South By and Charlie, you were there, I said, you know, the thing that everybody really needs to grasp is that phrase, what could possibly go wrong? Oh <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The unintended anyway, consequences are already going on. We just haven't identified them yet. Yeah. So moving, well, let's talk about GDC. By the way, our guest is Steve Zhao. I should have mentioned that at the top of the show. He's the founder of Sandbox VR. Uh, as far as I know, it's the only uh, location-based uh, VR uh, establishment that has come back from the pandemic in full force. Uh, it's not a family entertainment center. It is free roam VR. And so I'm looking forward to getting an update from Steve. Um, yeah. Anyway, diving into the week's news, GDC. Uh, famous for its deal-making and networking. I'm surprised you weren't there, Ted, because this is the center of the universe for the games industry. For I, I had a whole team there. We had a whole team there, and I was uh, um, living through the MV on it, uh, getting my reports every day. Um, but the Epic guys obviously put on a yes, huge Epic games. Epic Games sucked the air out of the room. I would say if I was Unity, I would be feeling kind of ouch, although they made a big announcement with Spatial. So yeah. you'll be able to upload your levels from unity directly to spatial i guess they're sort of stepping in where with free hosting where alt space used to yeah, provide off, yeah. and uh, and their and their avatar system by the way which we've teased them about uh you know has been hugely upgraded i mean it's it's you know they use ready player me avatars they have their own different choices that they give you so i don't know if you can use meta horizons one maybe you can uh anyway getting back to the state of unreal uh, here's the big news. I mean, we knew they were going to build Fortnite into a metaverse, and they announced the tools to, in fact, enable that. Fortnite has 500 million registered users, and 350 million of them are active every month, which probably makes them one of the um, uh, biggest portals on the web, along with uh, or you know, internet, uh, along with Pokemon Go and some other. Uh, some other games. So uh, they've introduced a new asset store. So you can bring 3D objects into Fortnite, which is significant because that's the center of the virtual economy. Yeah. They didn't get into that much. They threw some red herrings out there, but that's really what's significant. And they're, and they're consolidating all their assets inside of this new asset store, uh, which includes Sketchfab and uh, one of their partners, Kitbash, and, you know, they're going to put Quixel and everything else in there, the existing asset store. So it may be the biggest 3D asset store uh, on the internet. I, I think it would definitely be. Yeah, uh, this 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 Fortnite engine concept where it's sort of opening that world up. Um, someone will have to fact check my statistics on this, but some of the guys that were there were, were telling me that now 
um, over 40% of the Fortnite play environments are uh, user created uh, sort of offshoots of the original Fortnite or the Fortnite sort of, you know, the, the, the current levels that they're running. And there are now hundreds and hundreds of thousands of independent Fortnite based creation lands. That, yeah, I think uh, they said over a million of them. Now we know, you know, yeah. uh, 900,000 of them are worthless. Uh, but the other 100,000 of them uh, are pretty good. And there are actually major companies which are building a presence inside. Uh, it's called Fortnite Creative. They've also, it has, it comes with it one point of friction uh, where they've introduced a programming language called Verse. Hmm. I don't know much about Verse. Uh, supposedly it's it's easier than uh, current programming methods, but it's you know going to be the thing that allows you to bring interactivity into your world. So you can't really get there without it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's supposedly uh, like a low-code environment, you know, object-based. I mean, no, but so is, but Unreal Engine is already that, especially if you're just building levels. Truthfully, right. I think when you when you boil it down, what they're really trying to do, Charlie, this is kind of another battle of the titans. It's going to be, you know, Unreal uh, uh, versus versus Roblox, right? In terms of who makes the best tools, who makes the most compelling environments, and where will those creators, to your point, that 1% of creators that are going to really find a following and generate real real economics and real fervor for their games, are they going to migrate a little bit away from Roblox into this now? And, you know, these the stakes are big. It's a big it's a big play. There's a lot well, going to, on. To, to your point, I think one of the biggest, I think the biggest news that Epic dropped was um, they're going to drop 40% of their net revenues back to creators. Mm -hmm. You just think about that, the scale of what Epic's doing. That is there. That is like one of Tim's uh, Tim Sweeney's power moves to build the Oasis and to be Halliday. Because yeah. think about like this giant pool of money, and it's an equal playing field, and they're basically much more incentive than what you'd find at Roblox or anything else. But it also shows um, two things. One, the demise of the metaverse is totally incorrect because look at the numbers happening inside Fortnite. Um, people wrongly called what Meta was doing the metaverse. It was simply a bad thing that Meta made. It is not the metaverse. <laughs> Epic is much more accurately showing what the metaverse could be. And Tim is putting an economic system. He's a genius game theorist that could really work, right? He's yeah. not being greedy. He's putting a lot on the table for developers to make real money. And think about this. Imagine that works. It grows and grows. The, the endpoint solutions, the XR devices will flow into that, not the other way around. Like, because it's so cool and there's so many things happening and then devices catch up, he's kind of building the metaverse inside out, not from the endpoint in, but inside out with a good economic system that's not crypto. Right. I think the, the, the ultimately though, he will come up with a digital currency if this works, that works inside that economic system, not a fake currency <clears throat> on an economy that doesn't exist. So Tim is actually playing a really smart game. And I think people that were like, oh, the metaverse, they were betting a bunch of wrong things. And then like, it's all over completely. You're missing the point. But, oh, but la last thing here, I don't think it's the social graph. That was Meta's mistake. It's game loops. What yeah. Tim is showing is that the metaverse is going to be driven by sophisticated game loops. And he's put on the table a ton of money mm -hmm. for others to build those game loops into social interactions. That's what people are missing. Yeah. That's well, probably the path to like the real metaverse. Yeah. And to reiterate the point, when you look at what Epic is doing on their sort of return back to the machine, return back to that user base, the other company that is 
extraordinary at this is Roblox, that they take a huge amount of their profit and return it back into the R&D system and the build out of giving better tools and, and a more open ecosystem to their users to build more stuff. So I think Tim has learned from that. It's a fight, right? Roblox for they are metaverse really playing is Roblox Epic, right? It's, it's Roblox Fortnite uh, UE right now. Yeah, I think that's really what's come down to. But that's, that's the thing, like people calling it like the metaverse is over are totally missing what's going on. And now blend that with what we see with happening with AI, right? Yeah. Like in world AI and that kind of thing. Like it's basically really coming together at the moment where a lot of investors are taking their eye off the ball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We live in interesting times, gentlemen. Um, let, let me bring up one or two things. Steve is in the waiting room and uh, we try and do a tight 15, but uh, Second Life is finally launching a mobile app. Yeah, how about that? Uh, and <laughs> 20 own, years in the making, Charlie. They're, they're, only, uh, uh, they're only 15 years too late. <laughs> uh, it really, they cut their own legs off by doing it. I don't know what else to say. You know, they missed mobile and then they just kept missing it. And I never understood uh, why that was so. Uh, I, you know, their Ebby Altberg, their former, uh, the late Ebby Altberg, their former CEO, uh, always thought that they never could, they didn't think, they didn't think it would make the game better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're locking out essentially a whole new generation of players. And so, uh, but now, I mean, look, there were so many firsts. That's the thing. There were so many firsts. How the heck did they miss this, right? They were the first social network. They were the first true metaverse. They were the first digital economy, and they are the last <laughs> to introduce mobile. But that's a classic example of the innovator's dilemma, right? Yeah. Is, you know, even in a newfangled world like Second Life, when you build an entrenched system that you are comfortable with and is and you are profiting and people are using it in the way you think they should, when the world turns another notch, you miss it. it, it this is not a, a singular problem to those guys. It happens over and over and over again, where the company that started it all never fully capitalizes on it because they don't know how to allow themselves to innovate, to actually be the startup within the startup. That's the, the thesis. It's interesting. So it's not surprising to me. Okay, pivoting back to AI, and then let's get to Steve. Uh, Luma AI. Uh, they make uh, 3D out of 2D photos, and and uh, the participants in their $20 million round are impressive. They've got NVIDIA investing. They've got uh, it was uh, led by Amplify, which makes a lot of immersive uh, category vertical investments. General Catalyst um, and uh, and their existing investors they raised 4.3, so uh, a couple of years ago, making the whole deal come to about 25 million. So I don't know where, how far they're going to get with that cost of entry. We talked about this last week. You need like a billion dollars, but uh, $20 million is still uh, enough to get a startup uh, building momentum over a couple of years, uh, which they all have to do today. But, uh, you know, I like this company. I like what they're doing. I do think, uh, you know, whether or not people want to navigate the world uh, like they're navigating uh, navigate the internet like they're navigating in Fortnite, they will definitely want to see and interact with more 3D things. All the product shops, e-commerce yeah. sites are going to be 3D. So uh, not not a bad timing and bad, not a bad play. But again, an example of the, the velocity with which these new AI companies sitting atop GPT-4 uh, are, yeah, and, you know, so they can use their large language model and just customize it for their 
application. In fact, one thing I wanted to mention was Adobe introduced something called Firefly, yeah. uh, which is integrated into their workflow. So, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of startups that will uh, have to pivot because of that. They're in the game too, right? Everybody, everybody that thought, oh, we don't have to worry about this is like, we better worry about this. Isn't so. it surprising how fast people are getting into this game? It's like, yes. it's not years, it's months. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's the velocity of it is really surprising. But every time one of these companies launches and and I figure out what their, um, you know, what their plan is and what vertical they're addressing, I always feel like, or I have felt like over the past few weeks, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and then good, you see so many of them. It's like, uh, is this guy a competitor? That one. <laughs> well, a, a good a good metaphor. I don't know if we used it on the show last week, or, or but I think, or, or I talked about it with some other folks. Is you know when a, when a vertical spikes up so quickly, what happens is you get the big crater hole in the middle, right? You've got it's actually a volcano, and there's a lot of stuff that's going to go into the volcano before it's all over, all said and done, right? So, it's well, a one, really one quick comment. Charlie, because you brought up Firefly with Adobe, like it, it really begs the question, is it is AI a product or is it an amplifier? Like it's amplifying the Adobe Creative Suite. Um, what OpenAI is really doing for Microsoft is amplifying Office. You know, so like, is it the thing or is it the thing that amplifies existing services and go to markets and customer bases, which is a really intriguing problem for startups? Because if you're an AI startup, you're like, I've got AI. Is that the thing or it's like, I've got an Adobe Creative Suite powered by AI. I make a spreadsheet powered by AI. So it could be that the startups are in a really tricky place and the established companies who could rapidly integrate AI in the back end, maybe they're the ones that are gonna be the beneficiaries. It's gonna be very strange and interesting to see what happens, but the speed at which Adobe and Microsoft are integrating tools that startups are claiming to have. And now like, how do they compete with the marketing and, and the channels and all that? It's gonna, be, it's gonna be really interesting. I think a lot of, an extinction event coming soon uh, for a bunch of players, but it's, it doesn't mean AI is not good. It just means an extinction event's coming. Yeah, it's a it's a longer topic. We should maybe table it for for next week's discussion. But the idea of uh, studying, and I'm reading some really interesting articles about this, about the interde interdependency of the technology base and all the companies that are effectively building on top of the same thing. You get so much duplication of services and deliverables. And it's, it's almost imperceptible to determine who's doing what and what their differentiators are. And it starts to become a huge problem. And it's just the, what used to take years to get to that point where we have seven different versions of this particular application are now taking months or even days to get there. Right. Uh, we, yeah. So it's just, it's fascinating. Uh, let me give you an example. The Leia pad, which I have sitting next to here, me on my desk, which is yeah. a loaner unit. It costs about... Uh, you know, demo unit, it costs about uh, $1,000 and they have stable diffusion integrated into it, but not just any stable diffusion, it's 3D mm -hmm. diffusion. So you ask it the same queries that you do on uh, stable diffusion uh, in 2D on the internet. Uh, it's giving you, it's built into this and it, you know, has stable diffusion and it gives you 3D, which is kind of amazing. Uh, it shows you again, the power of that technology, but also how they're integrating it into what is essentially wants to be an everyday device. So talk about the velocity of how it's just getting integrated into everything. Uh, anyway, let's, let's, let's get Steven here. Uh, I don't know. He's based in Hong Kong. I don't know whether he's in the States right now. He probably is because of GDC. GDC. Yeah, sure. You, Roni, you guys must have sent a ton of people to GDC back in the day. 
from Magic Leap. Yeah. Oh yeah, we used to tons. Hey Charlie. Steve, hey, welcome. Great hey, to see you. Hey, Ronnie. Good to see you too, Charlie. Uh, are you guys. are you in San Francisco? I'm in San Ramon, close by. I was at GDC. Yeah, yeah that's what we figured. We were we were speculating that you were probably in town for GDC. How how was it? What was your experience like there? We were talking about it a minute ago, but none of us were there. Um, well, it's great to meet a lot of folks. I've been in the game industry for over 15 years, so a lot of familiar faces. I, I think it's just very exciting how how games has really shifted over the last decade, and it's accelerated. It's a little bit more. Um, I, I think now it's sort of like there's just sort of like an unknown of where games could be, especially with AI being forefront. So I think there's a lot of excitement and probably mixed with uncertainty in the air. That's how I want to describe it. How, how do you, I mean, it's just, there's so many places in the, both in the production pipeline, the creative pipeline, as well as in the game itself, uh, that where AI could fit in, I think um, Ted uh, Roney just mentioned InWorld. I don't know if you got a, a look at that. That's the AI for NPCs which you know we've been saying is going to really transform games just on the face of it right because now in a game like um, Fortnite or in a game uh like uh Grand Theft Auto you can now give the non-player characters could add a tremendous level of complexity in fact they may get good enough pretty quickly that you can't at least immediately tell whether they're AI or whether they're uh, human players yeah, it's the it's the uh ryan reynolds movie free guy come to actual reality now it's really it's really happening baby it's pretty fun yeah i think it's very exciting yeah it had a booth at the expo um they under the escalator so pretty prominent i think that's probably one of the areas people are excited about is you know npc characters into in a way that you can distinguish from you know npc or actual players yeah. Uh, well, well, let's let's not digress. Let, let's talk about Sandbox VR. Uh, I mentioned before it's a, a free roam system uh, that you know essentially is re, uh, <clears throat> retail VR. It's it's pricey, uh, but I think that strategy seems to be uh, helping you make the kind of revenue that that uh, allows you to not only sustain your current stores but uh, build build new ones. So I'm interested to hear about the the difference why you're succeeding, why uh, why while others had fa had failed. But also, uh, since most of our listeners don't have not seen a sandbox VR uh, location, uh, maybe you can describe what it is and the kind of experiences you offer. I would say the closest thing to sandbox VR is uh, it is like being inside the matrix. It's full body VR with your friends. And once you're inside our experience, um, customers actually tell us that they don't think it's a simulation to them it's real life. And it's, it's highly social. You can physically interact with friends. And we've created experiences that actually encourage, you know, customers to be social, communicative, and really play around with that element. And once people comes out of our experience, Generally, which is about you know thirty minutes long in VR, they get these highlight videos. So they are auto-generated videos that kind of blend between real life and VR. That's easily shared across um, you know um, you know messenger apps or um, social media platform, and that's kind of been helping us with our virality. So that's kind of foundationally what Sandbox VR is, and I think the reason why we've been successful is I think we we found like a tremendous product market fit. 
that people, when they go out to play, in the end of the day, you know, it's not about touching a wall or feeling fire. You know, it's not it's not being like a like a VR arcade shooter. It's really about having a great time with your friends and family, and that's what we that's what our content really focuses on. Steve, there, there's a lot of um, there, there were a lot of other players attempting the same location based VR. Many of them are gone. I won't name them. You probably know who they all are. Um, and I know you don't want to talk about your trade secrets and why it works, but the parts you are willing to talk about, what do you think? you made different that others who attempted location-based VR were, were unable to pull together? Uh, I think it's how it's, I think the idea of Nate's Ronnie, like, you know, how the company started, you know, we never wanted to be in retail. Our DNA has been building games, but when VR first came about, uh, one of the learning lessons that I had with mobile games is you should build for the future, don't build what's popular now. So we try to really think through what do people want in the next five to 10 years. And to us, it's like people want the matrix. They want the holodeck. Can we build that? And we look at all the technologies like, you know, we could, but it could not exist inside the home. So that, you know, idea made led us to creating something that is uh, retail based. And because we care so deeply about experience um, and about, you know, the gameplay and the socialness and everything around that, it turned out to be something that people really wanted. So. So Steve, you would say you, you sort of have this long tail vision from the arcade model into the home model, which is not necessarily a, a new thesis, right? There are were many folks, let's use Atari as an example, right? Started in the arcade, realized when there was enough power to deliver this into the home in a viable fashion, they migrate to the home, right? And uh, and their business sort of explodes. Nintendo. Uh, that's, that's actually not a long tail vision. I don't think this can exist in the home. Um, I think it's the uh, opposite of being an arcade because okay. in the arcade technology was not advanced enough. So over time, you can actually bring an arcade inside your home. Yeah. Um, but you know what we're building is not fun, you know, fundamentally one technology. You know, we're taking uh, VR, we're taking motion tracking, we're taking wireless. In the future, we're looking into machine learning and AI. It's a combination of uh, technology that makes everything work. And and I think the home VR market is trying to tackle something else, which I believe is like um, they're trying to be very accessible in space, but they sacrifice immersion, like true full body immersion. And our business is look, it's retail, so it's not as accessible, but we double down on immersion. So no, I just thought you said you were you were seeing the bigger vision, but so so it sounds like your long vision is to actually stay out of the home and continue to evolve that simulation experience. And you know, within the world of full disclosure, we're partners together. So we have our Star Trek IP and experiences in these sandbox VR experiences, and they are really great. And we get great customer feedback, not just from the experience itself, as you know. But the whole journey of how you enter into the retail environment, how you doff and don the gear, and then the social experience of how they're filming you as you're doing it. And then they send you links so you can post your experiences to social media. You kind of do the round trip. Um, but I, I actually had a misconception. I, I didn't realize that your true long-term vision is to always stay out of the home. I thought it was actually to migrate into the home but I think I think actually not to answer this for Steve but there is real there's really a theory behind this which I think is very strong which is that you need an organizing principle for multiplayer games I see we have all these mobile companies have tried for years 
to sync up smartphones so the two friends uh, could play a game together, you know, using their uh, devices that they already have in their pockets. In fact, there's a, a, a device that I'm talking about right now that takes advantage of every piece of hardware uh, on the iPhone, uh, which, you know, gives you a sense of how powerful that is and how it's going to work in uh, mixed reality. But setting that aside, my point is that it is hard to organize groups of people. There's a lot of friction there. And even if the hardware that they're wearing uh, is the same that people are using at home, they don't have the full body tracking for enhanced embodiment and, and immersion, and they don't organize you together. And I think that's there's a lot of friction there, especially today when people are not together that much. They don't, you know, most of the socializing takes place online. Uh, it makes a synchronous activity like this uh, a lot more powerful. And so I think by focusing on, on the location-based and the differences, because it, it's going to be a while before we have reasonable full body tracking at home, um, you know, I think there's a real competitive advantage there and offers something that, you know, I think people would be excited about and recognize immediately, oh, this is different. That's exactly it, Charlie. It's the organization of people coming together. And, you know, everyone's house is different. Not every house can support kind of like a, like a, even a small free room space that is, uh, you know, reliable. So that's what Sandbox is. It's a home for people to come together to just play experiences together and have a great time. So, uh, of course, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the two main friction points in location-based VR, um, which is throughput and um, utilization. Uh, so how do you handle all those hours during the week when people are busy doing other things? For us is, um, you know, we're, we're incredibly, we since the pandemic, we've built um, kind of at the store level highly, like, very high margin business. It's uh, if you think about it, our biggest expense is labor and rent, right? Uh, we've been very good on working with land to find um, very competitive deals. And we've been very good um, learning how to optimize our labor. And, and the biggest thing is, you know, um, the way after that, in terms of like, um, you know, how we basically, we don't need that much occupancy to be profitable. Uh, every locations that we have uh, in terms of occupancy, like the utility rate of a location. Yeah. And every location that we've opened is profitable. So it's just something that we've created. So you're saying, well, you're saying that it, it behaves like a movie theater model. Yeah. I mean, Tuesday during the day, you may not have that many people, but the high utilization on the weekend makes up for that. Much. How Even many? Though we do have daytime, especially with a team building. That's something that has been happening more now. Where, mm -hmm. where, where the world's kind of coming back to normal but yeah the weekends and uh off you know the night times are you know that in itself alone is enough to take care of the, uh every location how many locations do you now have worldwide what's 35 35 and uh, are you doing are you doing flex pricing to sort of manage demand is there like a peak pricing time nights weekends and daytime during the week lower density do you actually lower the price or do you keep it all the same uh generally not really because people that have time to play during the weekdays generally are less sensitive about pricing. Once, once you once you offered tiered pricing like that, you're saying that your experience is worth the lowest price. 
That's the problem with discounting and specials. You get a short-term burst, but now you've undermined your value proposition. You get it, Charlie. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I was was chief operating officer, as you remember, for a chain of unsuccessful uh, location-based VR in the 90s. (laughs) It's hard. One question. um, uh, Do you think... Like like many sports or scuba or things like that, that you know people get their taste of it through you, but are they going to want to gear up? Do you evolve into a place where I, I get it, and then I want to go home with the suit, the highest end headsets, you know, gear up so I have my own gear to either come and play, like I have my own, you know, like people might have their own golf clubs or scuba systems, mm. and they spent thousands and thousands tuning, you know, these things to be really, you know, really high fidelity, and I, I just wonder, do you think? VR XR heads in that direction where the real enthusiast, you know, like someone playing golf or baseball or, or football or scuba or, or sailing wants their own stuff. They want to fine tune it. There's a whole industry of all these like high end things, because as the experiences become photorealistic, AI based, they'll just start to take take on the same material uh, nature of like what it means to play golf for a day or what it means to go, you know, uh, scuba in, in Australia, which could be like a $20,000 endeavor. I mean, do you see that or do you see it's more of like, you know, like laser tag where it never really took off into that kind of cultural phenomena? I mean, we think more generally about the VR industry in order for people to want to buy gears and really care about, you know, kind of gearing up, you first have to create like a killer hit and a killer, killer after it. People must love it and they must love it even without the gears. And they love it to a degree and there's a community built around it that people will start, you know, you know, more money for that app so can vr create these killer apps i think it's possible but it's just really hard to do you know if you look at like the consumer vr there's probably only i would say a, a few of them that are killer apps right so um i'm not sure is it because of the the headsets you know allowing that or maybe the friction of being inside a home where you know, once the consumer's inside the home, they have a lot of entertainment option would they put the headset for, right? I'm not sure it's because of that. But yeah, there could be a world, but you got to solve the app first. What's, what are your experiences in the venues now, right? There, as I recall, there are several to choose from in each venue, sort of like, a, again, a multiplex movie theater where you can go in and see one or see both. What What, what are they? We have six titles today. You know, the way we started is uh, we started with a lot of shooting experience. So Edward Manchin, you probably played that before, Charlie. Um, and Amber Scott, that takes you to space. So that's how we start. Now we're moving away from just purely shooting. It's all about expression. So we're launching um, a new experience uh, this summer where you have to utilize more melee weapon and you can cast magic with your body movement. And of course, uh, at the end of this year, we're going to launch Squid Game. And that has no cost at all. But that is going to be our, it's going to be a pretty incredible experience. That makes sense because, you know, it's Simon Says. It starts with Simon Says and then goes from there. Yeah. And and for us, the thing about Squid Game really um, kind of showcase how our technology is different from other is you need like full body tracking to make this work. And a lot of location-based companies don't even have that technology. That That is exciting. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Charlie, have you you haven't have you been to the 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 mall? Is the, 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 the Topanga location still open, Steve? The, uh, the mall here? Yeah. So I, I have not. I have not gone out to Topanga. There's there's a mall in um, 
uh, in Silicon Valley that's probably right between um, Silicon Valley and San Francisco that I went to. Okay. It was pretty new. I did a pirate experience. Yep. Uh, I think it was one other customer because it was during the day. And then um, two of the uh, employees who were hanging out there jumped into the sim with me so that we had a good multiplayer experience. Yeah. And, and it's long, first of all. Yeah, it, it's long. It's, a, it's it's like a full video game. It's twenty five minutes, thirty minutes long. So you never, you know, that the, in most uh, location based entertainment wants throughput. So they give you a ten minute experience and maybe a five minute pre show. You know, they want to shuffle you through there as fast as possible. But this is different than that, uh, which is good. It allows for a lot more storytelling. Um, but my feeling was at least those experiences. And now we're talking. Good gosh, Steve, probably 2019. So I, I imagine the uh, technology and experiences and your knowledge of uh, and your experience working with customers has probably evolved them. The biggest change for us is uh, we've uh, successfully transitioned to wireless streaming very reliably. So back in Charlie, you were wearing like a VR backpack. So that is gone now. And that is very foundational shift for a couple of reasons. It actually helped our operation improve even better. Guest experience is highly improved. You don't sweat as much, mm. even though you still do, especially with the zombie experience. <laughs> um, you know, we can actually have a much younger demographics if you don't have to wear a backpack. So we can start creating more family-friendly experiences for parents and kids to play together. So, so that's how we're thinking about evolving. It's just taking away all the props and all the gears so that you can, you can basically immerse yourself as if you are that character. What technology are you using now for the headsets and the tracking? We're using uh, HTC Vive Focus. Uh, that's the one that has capability for the wireless streaming for 6E, Wi-Fi 6E. Uh, tracking is still right now is a passive tracking that you've seen before. Um, we're going to switch to active tracking over time. But I'd imagine in the future, there will be a day where we can utilize AI and machine learning that um, it doesn't even need trackers. You can just walk into a deck and you're fully uh, tracked. Yeah. So, Stephen, if you're using the Vive now, like what what do you want it to become for your use? Like, what do you want VR manufacturers like to turn into? Like, what what's what's missing? What could be better? Maybe like two or three things. Uh, you never know; someone could be listening. It's like, okay, we'll we'll do that. Um, we're seeing a lot of great things. I mean, for us, I think foundationally is how do you keep uh, pushing the fidelity of experience? Uh, okay. For us, that's very important because uh, that correlates to immersion. But more so with wireless streaming, you know, as a, you know, as a business, you can actually create like very strong servers. So you can actually push the boundary of production quality. So, so that's like one of the things that we view, want to do. So field of view, like, like really get into like, you know, natural human eye resolution uh, so that it's indistinguishable from like, you know, an HD. If you go to like a 4K film or something like that, you're sort of getting to that level or better. Yeah, it's like retina with a headset. Um, and then you combine it with a very strong, powerful server, so you can actually utilize like high, very high quality graphics that is almost indistinguishable, you know, indistinguishable from real life. That's kind of like how we want to evolve our uh, content. I'm curious if you've had a chance to look at the new, the little micro headset from Big Screen, which is super high fidelity. It takes a step back uh, in terms of what your overall needs are because it's still a tethered headset, right? That has to attach to some sort of PC right now. Uh, but the fidelity and the comfort is a whole nother level beyond what most 
developers are, uh, are are bringing into the market these days. I'm curious if you had a chance to see it yet. I yeah, I did. I got a chance to um, meet the CEO and at the GDC, and I think it's uh, super interesting. You know, I think for us because you're playing just 25, 30 minutes. The comfort is important, but I don't think it's as important as consumer market where someone might want to play for eight hours straight. And that has that will be a very good for that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, Steve, uh, uh, well, actually, this is a question for you, Ted. Uh, uh -huh. Star Trek experience has been in Sandbox for, I guess, about a year. Uh, a number of years, actually, many years. So yeah. so what is what what is the story that we act out? in the Star Trek experience? So it's been, okay, so it's been pre-pandemic since I actually did it with my daughter. Um, so you'll have to let Steve kind of remind me. You're, you're, in, you're in a Star Trek experience. Like you're, you know, you're in the Enterprise and then you're in sort of moving around and you go down to the planet's surface and there are these kind of you know, giant squiddy sort of monsters that come at you and attack you and stuff. And it's actually quite, quite fun. Uh, but, you know, the love and lore of that, of that IP and that brand is so strong. Uh, that it, it requires a certain amount of, of responsibility and care. And they did actually a really good job of managing the IP well. People really enjoy it. We get a lot of good feedback on it. Yeah, for us, it was like, what are the fantasy fulfillment that we can deliver? So naturally, you can um, you can beam to different planet. And of course, we have happy to that. So that feels incredible. You play with time and space, or separated into different areas in VR, even though they're next to one another. Um, you got to use a tricorder. Like, what does it mean to like, you know, um, you know, search the environment, kind of try to find out clues what happened, and then of course you get to fight Klingons, you know. So these are like fantasy fulfillments that we want to do generally with all IPs we work with. Like, what do like fans really care about, and and how do we double down on that? Is it your most popular uh, a uh, experience? Zombie is our most popular one by far. Wow. Um, so the first one is called Deadwood Man. So, you know, we actually uh, launched a sequel last year and it's something like hotcakes. Yeah, I've done that too. Zombies, zombies never disappoint, right? It's always <laughs> a good experience. I was, last time I was there also, there was a, a movement. I don't know how, if it's continued to evolve into actually competitive gameplay. There was kind of like a, a katana sort of thing where you actually would build up your skill and earn points and then you could compete with other people. Um, so it was a bit of an esports thing. Is that still moving forward? Is that still popular? Yeah, that's called UFL. You know, we we look into esports and we're trying to we try to make that work. And we realize that it's hard to get product market fit with esports because the cost of doing that is a is a sandbox ticket price, right? Just much friction. Mm. I think any esports need to start from a very low friction area first, and we don't have that. So it's another learning experience that for the sandbox platform that we're more suited to create experiences that more narrative, like kind of like being inside movies and trying to create something that's very competitive. Right. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, the idea of, of like people bowl and then they like, if they like it enough, they join a bowling league and they try and compete and they try and get better. Uh, and we saw that with, this, with the success of Top Golf, right? They sort of gamify the game of golf in a way that takes it to scale and is super successful, right? I mean, it's a massive, massive success of tapping into people's kind of competitive spirit. So it's interesting that, it was interesting to me that you were experimenting with it, but it's also interesting that you were learning about the price threshold dynamics of it and how people you know, will tap into it or not. I, I think the competitiveness like uh, with Squid Game would be like super interesting. Uh, it's mm -hmm. like, it's a, it's a you know, game you can play together that you also have a high score and it's more like casual competitiveness. 
that's what I would call like squid game that we have and also you know like top golf but like a really hardcore esport that people are gonna play like a thousand times yeah I think it's really hard with location based yeah it's interesting yeah I think that relying on known IP and zombies are kind of like an IP because you know what to expect is is always going to be great in location-based entertainment because people don't understand what the original titles are. Right. So if you're going to choose one and you're standing there, you're going to do this experience once, you're going to choose something that you think you know something about. So mm -hmm. everybody loves Star Trek. Everybody knows what happens in a zombie movie. So I think I think it's a smart strategy to look for those uh, kind of I, compatible IPs. What what are the other well-known IPs that you have other than Star Trek and zombies? Um, outside of uh, what's coming out, yeah, the but... most popular one is Amber Sky. That is our sci-fi one. And it, it alludes to you too. I think sci-fi, if you have like the alien kind of conquering Earth, it's also something that people have seen or, you know, or watched before. So there's a level of familiarity with that. Um, but I also attribute that also to the gameplay itself because you start from a elevated platform on Earth and it takes you all the way up to space as you fight the aliens. So that transcendence with VR is incredible. Mm. And people love that. Yeah, great, great. I think that's true of any VR experience, actually. One thing we didn't get into, and unfortunately we don't have time, is your background as a game developer. And I think I wrote a Forbes story on how you came to... Uh, to start this company. So, so interesting. Uh, congratulations on your success where so many people did not figure out the formula. So the fact that you're having this kind of success and you've opened so many locations is a real sign uh, that this is an innovation and is different than what has come before. So that's our show for this week, everybody. Thank you, Steve, for calling in and joining us for half an hour. Ted and Roni, uh, I will be texting you during the week, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see everybody back here next Friday. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Steve.